with, I began to learn that what we were doing is infiltrating major corporations, uh, attempting to find out secrets that their competitors were paying huge amounts of money to find out. How did this happen? How did they get access? How could we have prevented them? Like, you know, Ron, help me understand. And that was the beginning of my career as a corporate spy. I started out making $8 an hour, and um, by the end of my spying career, I was making $2 million a year. What? Who says tech can't be human? What's going on, Hacker Valley fam? Welcome back to the show. My guest this episode is extraordinary. Their background is extraordinary. When I met them, I was a little caught off of guard because of their story and, and how it relates to cybersecurity. My guest this episode is Robert Kerbeck. Robert is the author of Ruse, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. Robert also has a background in espionage, not the type that we would normally be used to hearing about, but that's why I thought it would be great to have Robert on the show. Most importantly, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that great introduction, too. So where can we start? Should we start at Hollywood? Should we start at espionage? <laughs> you help guide me. <laughs> yeah, you know, so uh, for your audience, I was a young guy. I wanted to be an actor. I moved to New York. Um, actors need survival jobs. Most actors get a job as a bartender or a waiter who stumbles into a career uh, as a corporate spy. But that's what happened to me. Um, and um, I had a buddy who had a job in New York. And um, one day he mentioned it. And then he shut up right away like he had been told, don't ever tell people what you do. And I said, dude, I'm, I'm broke. I need a job. Help me out. And so he very reluctantly got me an interview. I go up to the Upper East Side, which, as your audience may know, is kind of the old money part of Manhattan, very wealthy. Um, you know, I go to a doorman building. I was living in a cave in Hell's Kitchen with three other guys. And um, I go up to the penthouse and this woman ushers me into the nicest apartment I've ever seen. And so right away, I knew whatever her business was, it was very lucrative. And um, it, we had the strangest interview I've ever had. She didn't ask me any questions about my skills. She certainly didn't tell me a thing about what the job was. Um, I leave. My buddy calls and says, you're hired, but don't get too excited because no one is able to do this job. And the next day I started training. And um, this woman I was training with, I began to learn that what we were doing is we were um, infiltrating major corporations uh, attempting to find out secrets that their competitors were paying uh, the woman that I was working for at the time huge amounts of money to find out. And that was the beginning of my career as a corporate spy. I started out making $8 an hour. And um, by the end of my spying career, I was making $2 million a year. What? So let's rewind a bit, right? How did, how did that job interview go? Were they very happy with your background of wanting to be an actor? Was that like a, an advantage for you? Yeah, it's a great question, Ron. Yeah, exactly. The woman, she only hired actors because she wanted people that could create 
personas, characters, do voices, do accents. Um, you know, this is Gerhard calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. We have the European Union regulators here and we need some information from the States. And see how you're smiling and laughing, right? That's every time we would do our accents, the people on the other end of the line would go, oh my God, I got somebody in the London office with an English accent or, or an Irish accent, the Dublin office or a German accent, the Frankfurt office or whatever accent you were doing, they were happy to hear from you. And so they believed that you were with the company. And so if they believed you were with the company and there was some crisis, what wouldn't they tell you? And so we were using, you know, the good old fashioned social engineering phone call, uh, you know, what we call the ruse call, hence the title of my book, Ruse. We were using the good old fashioned social engineering phone call to get anything and everything we wanted to know from a corporation, including passwords, um, you know, including uh, um, you know, new products, um, pricing, clients, uh, contracts, uh, salaries, you know, anything that a competitor would want to know about their rivals so that they could gain competitive advantage. Oof. That sounds like a dream job, a dream job for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, you know, be able to like play a character, have fun, get some, you know, juicy information company secrets when you think about yeah. infiltration especially like you know looking back in your career that spanned from eight dollars to two million in salary uh what were some of the steps that you had to take for infiltration and what were some of the things that you were assigned to collect as an output yeah so again great question and of course we are having you know the the social engineering phone call is having a moment right you know we thought the social engineering phone call the ruse phone call was dead was 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 so you know 1990s uh, or early 2000s but of course we know with the mgm hack that the social engineering phone call was sort of the precursor and of course i've been telling people all the time and now people are finally listening that the corporations your clients your audience, they've done such an incredible job uh, with protecting um, the technology, right? Using the server and the firewall and the encryption and all of these things designed to make phishing and computer hacking harder than it's ever been, right? But the the they've left open the, you know, the back door or the back window, so to speak, in that the good old fashioned social engineering phone call is easier than ever. If I'm able to get somebody on the inside to tell me anything and everything I want to know because they believe that I'm actually an executive with their company, all of that technology is for naught, right? It's just, and, and we're seeing now with these ransomware attacks, they almost always begin with social engineering so that the social engineer is learning all of this information about the company, how they're set up, how they're organized, how their systems work, you know, architecture, network, all of that stuff, so that then the hacker, their job is so much easier because they've hacked people first. And that's something that I talk about all the time that if corporations aren't going to train, if they're not gonna spend any money or hardly any money on educating and training employees, you know, it's just too easy. It's just too easy. They talk about the MGM hack was 10 minutes. I, I'd like to say I need a little bit more time, <laughs> but you give me 45 minutes, 45 minutes, and I will know anything I wanna know about your company, right. 45 minutes. I will penetrate your firm and I will learn corporate secrets that are worth, in some cases, tens of millions and even on occasion, hundreds of millions of dollars. 
people forget about just a good old fashioned phone call. Like, I think phishing is effective because you can spray and pray and, you know, reach a wider audience. But if someone answers the phone, I, there's that sense of urgency. If you have a request on the phone, I need my, my account reset. I need a new password. I need this piece of information. You kind of have to respond in the moment. Yeah, well, you know, look, what are people taught in corporate in the corporate world? Be a good teammate, right? Yes. You know, that we're always taught about the importance of good culture, right? And so if I call you and I'm doing this crazy German accent and Gerhardt is the head of compliance in Europe or he heads, uh, you know, whatever department he heads, I'm going to, and by the way, I'm going to be a senior executive. So now I get you and, and let's just do a little, let's just do a little role play here. You know, you're an analyst that you've been with the firm for six months, right? Yep. And all of a sudden you get Gerhard, who's the head of compliance in Europe on the phone. Now you look me up on the, on the intranet, on the firm's internal database, and you see, you know, Gerhard Mannheim, senior vice president of compliance. And you hear this German accent. Are you thinking that there's an actor putting on a German accent? No, you are not. So you're now going, oh my God, I have the senior vice president of compliance on the line and he's so friendly and he's so nice and he's flying and he, or he's at the airport or his laptop got stolen or it fell into the, you know, the swimming pool or whatever story I'm going to concoct about why I need your help, why I'm having trouble accessing the database, why I need my password reset or whatever other information that I might want. Um, so you're going to help me. And here, I'm going to even take it a step further. So you're helping me. You're doing anything and everything that I want. Mm -hmm. But now I'm going to use you as an internal mole. And I'm going to say, hey, Ron, thanks for all of this information that you've given me. But I asked you this one question, which you didn't know the answer to. But, you know, I have an idea of someone who might know that. Will you do me a favor and put me on hold for a minute? And will you call over there and ask this question for me? And so you're going to go, sure, no problem. So now when you call the person that I've researched in advance that I believe is going to have the information that I want, they're going to see your number come up as an internal number. They're going to see you're in the help area or you're in human resources or whatever area that I've chosen that I've, you know, so now I've turned you into an internal mole so that now you're spying for me, getting information that you're now relaying to me. And that is how powerful the social engineering ruse phone call is today, especially since so much of the technical side of phishing has been has been really, uh, you know, either eliminated or significantly reduced. But the social engineering side is alive and well and thriving. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How does one protect against it? To me, like I'm not really seeing an opportunity, especially now that synthetic voices are a thing and you can use AI to clone, mm -hmm. even my voice, you could download a podcast and yep. pop it into 11 labs. How can someone truly defend against a ruse? Well, I think it's not as hard as it seems, but it's really critical that people are, are trained in sort of a real world environment, right? So, you can't just tell somebody, hey, don't do this, don't do that. You know, a lot of times when I go and I speak, you know, or I do training, you know, I'm in a room full of 150, 250 people and we role play, you know, and so we'll have somebody come up on stage and I will improv with them and we'll do these things. And, you know, I start popping out these accents, people are laughing. So it makes it fun. So people 
when people are enjoying themselves, when people are smiling, when people are laughing, when people are paying attention because they're smiling and enjoying themselves, it's much more likely you're going to have impact that people are going to remember. If you're giving somebody a long email, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. People read two sentences and then they, they close that email and they're done with it, right? So they're not, you know, and, and then the people in HR or in training are going, oh, well, we, we train our people. That's not training people. That's not helping your, your employees to not fall victim to these kinds of ploys. Um, so I think that's one of the first things is it needs to be in person um, and, uh, or via zoom, you know, I've done events also with, you know, large zoom contingencies where we can still do the kind of stuff that we're doing now, role-playing and we can, we can make it really interesting. So people are going, oh my God, I had no idea that somebody could be doing an accent pretending that they were a senior executive in a far flung office. Wow. That's crazy. Right. But now they know other things that corporations can do is they can, um, introduce a protocol that all phone calls, you have to verify who you're talking to. You have to have a verification process so that you know that if I say I'm Gerhard Mannheim, the senior vice president of compliance for Europe based in Frankfurt, that there is a way to confirm me. So whether it's you're going to require me to send an email to you from my, you know, e my email account, um, whether you're going to have some sort of um, uh, code word, you know, that changes per day, uh, you know, so there needs to be some verification process so that you, you know, can prove that I am who I say I am before you're doing anything that could put your company in, you know, in big trouble. But, and I'm sure the, the guys at MGM wish they had that verification process because, you know, in retrospect, the verification process is so relatively simple compared to all the money, the millions and millions and millions of dollars um, MGM has lost, not to mention all of the stress that those employees have now been placed under yep. because of this, you know, terrible hack, right? And, and of course, the embarrassment and shame, right? If you're working in the technology department at MGM, you're probably not running around bragging about that anymore. <laughs> One of the things that came up with a conversation with my in-laws that were just visiting, they said, how did this happen? How did, how mm. did they get access? How could we have prevented them? Like, you know, Ron, help me understand. And, you know, in my eyes, if someone, like you're saying, it's all about teamwork. If a team member calls you and they need something reset, they likely had their phone lost, maybe stolen. They could have had their laptop lost or stolen. So if someone doesn't have that verification process, I can imagine like it makes it very difficult to confirm their identity. But that doesn't mean we should. Like you're saying, there needs to be the safeguards. Right. If you're not able to verify those safeguards, then maybe you should get some help, bring another team member involved. You still might go wrong, but you know maybe maybe there's an opportunity to do a little bit better. Uh, I wanted to also ask you what what's been like the craziest thing that you've had to do, like or try to get access to, and like tell me, you know, some of the stories uh, around that. Um, I'm a big football fan. Uh, my hometown is Philadelphia, so fly Eagles, fly Let's undefeated. Um, and so I I use football as a great, really great analogy because people say, you know, like we all know the Russians spy on the Chinese. We all know the Chinese spy on us. But what most people are shocked to find out is how much money corporations are spending each year to spy on each other, right? And what they're looking for is the playbook 
on their rivals. So let's say your client, your, your company, your firm is number seven in an industry, right? Seven in revenue, seven in rankings. Well, they want to know the playbook on who's number one, who's number two, and who's number three. And so we are often, or we were often tasked with going into the top firms in a specific space, technology, you know, uh, Wall Street, um, you know, automotive, uh, pharmaceutical, and we would learn anything and everything about that company that could give our clients a competitive advantage. So we would learn about new products that were not announced. We would learn how those products were going to be priced. We would learn um, uh, their organizational charts. You know, so we've got LinkedIn th these these days that tells us for the most part who works at a company. But what LinkedIn doesn't tell you at all is who are the rock stars at that company? Who are the top producers at that company? Who are the top salespeople, the top traders, the top bankers, the top designers? And something your audience may or may not know is that most corporations rank their employees. They have an internal system that ranks their employees. They have metrics that they use to rank their employees. And we would learn what those metrics were. We would learn what the, what the salaries of people were. And so that then we could go back to our client who's now looking to steal, to poach top talent from their rivals. And so we would be able to have a list and we'd go, hey, these are the rock stars at this firm. These are the top people in these categories. And here are their salaries. And so you would be able to see who was underpaid. And especially, let's think, let's think if you're a young person, right? You're a young person. You're just starting out. You're three years at a company, but you're killing it. You're killing it. You're, you know, you know, rookie of the year, you know, future Hall of Famer. But the rivals in the industry don't know about you yet because, you know, you're only a couple of years into the job, right? So if we can steal you early in your career when you're underpaid, my client, what a benefit for my client, right? And so these are just some of the things that we would get information on, Um you know, that would be game changers because if we could, you know, again, I go back to football, you know, when Tom Brady was the star quarterback of the New England Patriots and he left in free agency to go to, the New to uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what happened? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> so that gives you a sense of, and it's the same thing in the corporate world. That's what happens when you steal talent from a rival. You're, and by the way, New England, now they're a terrible team, Right. So it just shows you, and it's the same thing. If, if, if in Wall Street, I can steal your top trader and bring them to my firm. If I can, in the tech world, take one of the top designers and bring them to my firm, you know, it, it's a game changer. And so we would learn that information about who those rock stars were. So which industry is the most in demand for corporate espionage, the spying, getting like information on competitors? Is it like the tech industry? Is it these uh, other industries? What's, what's your perspective there? The two industries I did the most work in were tech and Wall Street. Um, not surprising, you know, massive amounts of money in, in those two industries, you know, but I mean, tech and Wall Street. Yeah. You've acquired all this information. Also sounds like a good amount of wealth. Kudos to you for making 2 million. Mm -hmm. That's goals right there. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do with all this information that you, all this information experience that you have now? Well, you know, that's why I wrote the book. Um, you know, I, I, I had to wait a little bit. I had to wait for the statute of limitations to expire on any crimes that I may or may not have committed. <laughs> um, 
And now that the book is out, uh, and I'm happy to announce that Ruse is in development for a TV series, which is incredibly exciting. Um, and I think, you know, now I can talk about, um, you know, what I did and, 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 you know, and look, let, let me be honest here. One of the things in the book is, um, I reckon with the moral issues of, of basically the lying that I was doing, um, because it's not something that I recommend. It's not something that I'm proud of. It is a hell of a crazy fun story, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm not proud of it. And I, and in the book, I deal with that a lot. And so one of the things I wanted to do in writing the book was to maybe be of service now and kind of go from, um, you know, from the offensive side being a spy to now the defensive side of helping corporations and individuals protect themselves so that they're not fished, scammed, duped, or what I like to call rused. Awesome. I, I'm really excited. I hope that all goes well with the, the TV series. I want to check it out. Are you going to be in like production with them, like helping write the story, or are they going to just be more so using the book with their own writers? Yeah, great question. You know, normally the 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 book writer kind of, you know, they they basically hand you a check and they they push you out the door. Sometimes they kick you out on the, you know, because they don't want the, they don't want the book writer around because they don't want the book writer saying, "Oh, that's not exactly how it happened in the book," right? Um, but fortunately for me, because you know I was doing this spying for you know twenty years, um, and you know I've got a you know a two hundred and seventy five page book, which is a fraction of the crazy spying stories that I you know, you know, did in my career. So they really um, want to have me around so that they have more content and more stories. So, so I'll be, you know, a consultant and an executive producer on the show, and I'll be helping to write some of the episodes. Love it. Awesome. That is great to hear. I'm talking to a celebrity, <laughs> you know, ah. speaking of celebrities, you were in Hollywood for years and also probably met celebrities doing this corporate espionage type of work. Who's the most famous person that you've met? Well, you know, I was a working actor, and this is the crazy thing is that, you know, I was um, started out in New York. I was doing a lot of high quality theater. I starred uh, off Broadway opposite James Gandolfini from The Sopranos in a play. I started in another play opposite Callista Flockhart, who's married to Harrison Ford. Then I moved to LA and I did 50 major TV shows. I did ER, NYPD Blue, Melrose Place, Star Trek, you know, lead roles in all of these shows. And so the spying thing was always kind of, Oh, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I'm not going to need this buying anymore. I'm, I'm going to be a big actor. And, and then it was only at a certain point where my acting career kind of dipped. And then the spying career went crazy. That was the moment where I kind of crossed over to the dark side. Um, but I think the most, uh, interesting celebrity interaction, um, was with OJ Simpson and, I, you know, again, I'm an actor and, you know, actors don't turn down many jobs, especially young actors. And one day my manager called up and he said, hey, um, uh, I got a job in an exercise video. Um, you know, do you want to do it? And I said, no, 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 no. I'm, the, I'm like the worst dancer in the history of mankind. I'm not. Uh, I'm, no, 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 no. And he said, no, no, it's not dancing. It's an exercise video. It's an exercise video for guys. You're going to be doing push ups and pull ups. And, and it's with O.J. Simpson. And I said, O.J. Simpson. Oh, my God, I love O.J. Simpson. You know, I, I remembered him, you know, I mean, I was very young when he was still playing football, but I remembered him, you know, as an announcer on Monday Night Football. And, and you know, he was even pretty good in a couple of movies. And uh, so, I, you know, I was a big I was a big fan. And so I, I go I say yes. And I, I go to the set and I show up and um, it's in a dance studio 
and there's a dance floor. And one of the first people I'm introduced to is a choreographer. And right away I begin to sweat because I didn't think there was going to be any dancing. And there are these, there are these, there are these women that are professional dancers. And so the choreographer lines us up and he shows us this dance routine and everybody does the dance routine. Even OJ does it pretty well. And I am lost. I am just lost in the back looking terrible. Choreographer comes over and I can tell he's about to fire me. And he says, how did you get this job? How were you hired? And OJ says, oh, no, 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 no. You can't fire Rob. His dancing is so bad, it's making me look good. Rob stays. And it was a really valuable life lesson, you know, and, you know, and I think this is true in corporate world. It's certainly true in Hollywood, which is make your star look good. And I later found out OJ was nervous about his dancing and he was nervous that he wasn't going to look great. So the fact that there was someone in the back that was really not very good <laughs> <laughs> made him and made him happy. And somehow that that bonded the two of us. And somehow we became friends on that set. He was showing me this um, pilot that he had just shot for NBC in which he played, believe it or not, a knife expert um you know that's a true story you can't make this stuff up and even today oj still continues to follow me in a strange way um when they a few years ago they did a tv series um on oj and kuba gooding played oj and they recreated the exercise video that i was part of so that means an actor got hired to play me in the exercise video <laughs> what did they did they have the part where he was also thanking the person for dancing badly <laughs> You know what? They did not. They should have. They should have. Uh, but they did not. So, I, you know, the, you know, uh, you know, and I was a little surprised that the actor never called me to ask me, you know, what you know, what his motivation was or something like that. But. Wow. You know, a lot of our audience probably is very fascinated by all this from two angles. One, you know, from the fact that they could be a social engineer in the cybersecurity space but also be just a little bit better at protecting their organization. So for anyone that was curious about what can they do to be just one step better from being rused by a stranger, what would be your piece of advice for them? Well, my publisher would get mad at me if I didn't say buy the book um, <laughs> or listen to it because it's on Audible, right? Um, but look, all of the ploys that I used are in the book, right? The inside ploy, the compliance ploy, the dropping the grapefruit ploy. Like there are all these ploys in there that you see how we would do some re initial research on a company. We would learn stuff about a company. Um, we would learn, um, you know, what was going on in the company. We would read all their press releases. We would know if the sports teams had won or lost the day before. We would know if there was a traffic jam in the city. We would know anything and everything that would enable us to seem like real people that worked at that corporation, right? And so I think one of the things is, is that if you're a good spy, and I like to think, you know, people have said that I was, you know, I, I can't say I was the world's greatest, but the New York Post called me the world's greatest, so I'll go with it. Um, but, you know, I definitely was good at what I did. And, and um, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, I got the information that my clients wanted. And I think that People don't realize how active corporate spies are today. Corporate spying is alive and well, thriving. Um, one of the most shocking things is I write this book. 
I out myself as a corporate spy, and I cannot tell you how many corporations have reached out to me. Forget about asking me to hire to hire me to train for them. No, they want me to spy for them. And I've I've said I said you do realize that like I've told the world that I'm a corporate spy. I wouldn't be a very smart spy if I went right if I outed myself and then went back to spying. But they don't care. They just want the information because it's so valuable. Wow, crazy. Yeah. That yeah. means everybody has got to check out the book. I'm going to drop a link to it in the show notes and description wherever you're listening. Uh, Be sure to check it out. I'm going to grab it right now as well. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to chat with us. For anyone that wants to stay up to date with Robert, again, check out the show notes or description. And with that, we will see everyone next time.